Get used to the mantra, all gas, no brake. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn of the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter. Joined by uh, Turn of the Jets and Badlands own Joe Caparoso. Talked a little free agency. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Love what you've been cranking along on the feed here. It's, it's never been, it hasn't been this active, maybe ever, in, or in years. I love to see it. Yeah, no, we, we know what we're, uh, we're making things happen. We've got great guests coming up on this podcast. You've draft season. Um, to get all your draft fix, you know, coming to, uh, you know, the end of April and then Badlands, you and Connor are cranking away with your own great content and also, um, you know, some of the great guests you've been having on. But I've been enjoying listening to Badlands myself. It's been uh, been interesting. The live reaction of Carl Lawson was pretty cool. It was uh, it was a fun one. And we we tried to cram in as much content we could before the league year opened. We were able to do a legitimate reaction show Monday night. It's been a little quiet since then, but uh, we've been cranking along on getting some more episodes going. And Lawson was a guy that all of us talked about a lot. So it was good to be recording when the signing actually happened. And I think it's been the most exciting move. And what has been a relatively quiet start to the off season as of, you know, when we're recording this, which is like midday on Thursday. Yeah. I was going to ask you um, kind of start off, obviously so far to date, the Jets have, brought in Jared Davis on a one-year, $5.5 million base, you know, contract, $7 million upwards, you know, with incentives. He's a linebacker, former first-round pick of the Lions. Pretty – the Jets apparently like his speed. He ran, you know, low four sixes coming out out of Florida, another Florida guy for Joe Douglas to kind of hang on to, somebody that converting to a 4-3 defense may be a better scheme fit. They added Corey Davis, um, you know, on a $12.5 million a year deal, three-year deal. It's essentially two for 26, but – um, you know, could, you know, go upwards of three for about 39 million, um, you know, if he plays the full three years here in New York. Um, they added Carl Lawson, like we just mentioned, three for 45. Again, essentially a two-year deal based on guarantees. Um, then they, you know, brought back Josh Adams, Vincent Smith, jo- um, you know, Josh. They've, they've brought back the Smith brothers, you know, some, you know, in-house stuff. And then, um, you know, core special teamer, um, you know, from the Saints. So have you been happy with what they've done, disappointed, or kind of in the middle uh, that's where I kind of sit. Where do you feel? I'm trying to balance patience and and skepticism. It's very early. It's hard to assess exactly what this entire free agency period is going to look like or this entire roster construction plan really until after the NFL draft. Then I want to look and see where they're at before I get too down or too up about anything. I think in terms of addressing edge rusher, they did as well as they could in this free agency period. I like the addition of Davis. The money I, I think is fine. I want to see more at receiver. I'd be feeling very good about a top three of Mims, Smith-Schuster, if they add him, and then Davis, uh, who I think is a guy who is a well-rounded player. He's physical. He will be much better and more consistent than a guy like Perryman, who is more of a one-trick pony. He can't stay healthy and can't really catch the ball that well. So I think with Davis, you're getting some upside. And a guy who doesn't need to be a, a number one receiver. It is not going to be a number one receiver. I'm not even sure he's really going to be in a thousand yard guy here. He hasn't been to date, but can he go out every year, fit well in the offense, get you 800 yards, catch the ball when it's thrown to him and be physical on the outside? I think so. And I think that adds some needed youth and stability to go along with Mims. Like I said, would like to see one more piece there. Uh, elsewhere, the rest of the moves have kind of been like shrug my shoulders. I'm not 
nuts about the Davis signing. He's a guy who just hasn't worked as a first round pick. You're betting your defensive staff can get more out of him, and he does have some speed for the second level. It's you know we're gonna it's we're replacing Neville Hewitt with him. So if he has to play a massive role in the defense, that's probably a bit risky. So I'm not gonna get too strong of feelings either way about that. Uh, always good to add special teams depth with Hardy, who I think has already won over the fans with his introductory press conference. The Jets were not good on special teams last year. So you need to make those kind of additions. But again, more of a footnote along with guys like Vincent Smith and Jeff Smith, who I don't even know will make the final 53-man roster. Josh Adams is probably another borderline 53-man roster guy. They need to do more. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you can do more without over-leveraging yourself in free agency. They have not made a single addition to the offensive line yet, which is concerning. They haven't made an addition to cornerback yet, which is concerning. I do think these things will come, uh, but hopefully they come sooner rather than later. I'm less worried about running back and tight end right now. I think they could be patient there and also address that those positions in day three of the NFL draft. I am concerned still about cornerback and offensive line. My biggest concern would be, and we've talked about this a lot in our, in our Slack is are they misevaluating and not self-scouting properly and saying we could run it back with McGovern and Van Routen and starters and maybe just find one guard in the NFL draft. And I just think that is not an ideal evaluation. It reminds me of going back to where Tannenbaum got himself in trouble, where the self-scouting of the offensive line uh, talent was inaccurate. They had the year where they tried to start Wayne Hunter. They had the year they tried to start Anthony Clement, and those moves backfired on them. And I think McGovern is a bottom 10 starting center in the NFL. And that's one thing, but you can't have a bottom 10 starting center in the NFL with a bottom five starting guard in the NFL, which is what I would say, you know, Van Routen and Lewis both are at this point. So I want to see both those position upgraded. I don't want to just be okay on the offensive line. I want to see them be, great on the offensive line regardless of who the quarterback is so there there's limited options out there there's a couple more moves they can make and there, there's always the trade market but offensive line and cornerback concern me the most in terms of the players added I feel like Lawson is like an a-plus addition I'm very excited about that Davis I think B B minus fine with it I want to see how the rest of the receiver group comes together uh, but I feel a lot better about Davis being out there than Perryman again yeah, Hardy, uh, his press conference today, I don't know why I blanked on his name before. His press conference was awesome, and Jets fans will love that. And it's, a guy, it's an area they, they were really bad at special teams, and New Orleans was great. And pe- guys, don't people don't really want to hear that right now, and you don't score points, but the amount the Jets punted last year is important to have a guy like Hardy. Um, yeah, I, I the Lawson thing was really exciting. I didn't think it was going to get done. We saw edge rushers. Um, you know, flying off the market. I didn't think Shaq Barrett was ever realistic, although obviously the guy's a beast and it would have been great to have him. But um, Lawson was fourth in the league in pressures, graded out really well, only in five and a half sacks. But if you watch the film on him, he's an incredible athlete. Um, guy that I know you and Connor have talked about a lot. Connor's talked about for four years, wanting to see him, you know, get, um, you know, get those sack numbers that everyone thought. Um, so I'd, yeah, again, I'd give that as high a grade as you can possibly give. The Jets haven't had a good edge rusher outside of, you know, spot blitz packages with Calvin Pace and then Aaron Maven in a weird year for six weeks. Mayhem. Aaron Mayhem. That was crazy. You know, he's the highest graded Jets pass rusher on PFF since 2010. So just remember when you think they haven't had pass rushers, that's bad. Um, Then you go to Davis. I think Davis is like you said, a BB plus in my book. But if the Jets grab Juju, who's, um, you know, heavily linked right now to the Jets, you know, might be going back to Pittsburgh. We're not sure. But if he comes to the Jets, I give that the Jets offseason at receiver an A plus because for me, they that combo of all guys under 26, Juju's a physical guy, but 
he's just really good at everything. I don't think he's like an exceptional athlete or an exceptional route runner, or exceptional hands, but he's really good at everything. And then you can free up guys like Corey Davis and Mims to do what they're best at, you know, either break it over the top or run those deep crosses. Um, they're all great blockers, which is really important with the lack of really great blocking guys at tight end. Um, you know, hopefully Herndon's good, but we've been hoping for that for three years. But if Juju can, they can run a lot more 10 and 11 personnel. If Juju Davis and Mims are all out there, they can block that wide zone scheme. You need guys that can block. And I know people don't, again, don't want to hear about blocking at the receiver position, but it is important. Um, especially in this offense. So I'm concerned about corner. Um, I'm really concerned about guard. I know that they have the NFL draft and it's day three and or day four here. And, you know, there's time, but they did miss on all of the big guards. Zeitler was a huge miss to the Ravens. I thought, um, I'm not concerned about Tooney. The Jets aren't outbidding the Chiefs on anybody right now, unless you're going to pay a guard 20 million a year, which I'm not even sure that's really good business. So that's, that, that'd be my issue is guard. Um, they need to address probably get at least acquire two guards. I don't know if they both need to be starters right now, but they need to at least have upgraded one guard spot like in the immediate future. And then corners the problem. I mean, I hope Bryce Hall's good. And I think he showed some flashes, but if you're starting Arthur Millette, bless Austin and Bryce Hall next year, I, I don't care how many sacks Carl Lawson has. You're in trouble. Um, tight end and running back, like you mentioned, I'm not so worried about just because there's been some good value plays. I mean, Gerald Everett, I would have liked it one for six. I thought that was a pretty decent value play for him, but he also kind of feels a little bit like a little bit better Herndon and to go two boomer bus guys at the same position is risky. Um, obviously the quarterback matters the most, but that's not probably going to get figured out for a while. So from, yeah, like I said, I mean, I've liked what they've done. I've been a little cautious with just feel like there's been some value plays at John Brown at three and a half million felt like a good play, even with Crowder or potentially Juju on the roster. He's a guy that can break the top off of defense. He's definitely better than Barrios as much as I love Braxton, but there's just been a lot of, and maybe you know, why the Jets not in on him. You never know. I don't know. You know, Douglas has preached about building through the draft, which is important, but one thing I want to get to, and I'll bridge this to you is this notion that you have to just build through the draft and you can't sign anybody. Cause I just don't, think that's true to just spend a million dollars and hundreds of millions of free agency doesn't work but supplementing your roster with good death pieces and veterans to add to rookies who develop is the way you do it and that's why your buffalo has been really successful new england in the past all these teams that's what they do so um, i don't know if you want to hit on that but that's something that's been a little frustrating with just the build through the draft thing yeah it can never just be one singular approach and you can't be that stubborn where you say we're only going to do it this way. You have to be adaptable and build your team through all means available, which is a mix of the draft, free agency, and the trade market. And I think I do think there's been some good value deals that have I don't maybe missed by the Jets. Where yes, a guy like Gerald Everett would have made a lot of sense to push Chris Herndon. A guy like Jamal Williams, at the money he got, would have been a really intriguing fit in this offense. Uh, and it can't just be through the draft because the draft is too hard. Even if you're a great GM, you're going to miss on picks. It's a crapshoot. We saw, I mean, if we're going to have a hard assessment about last year, we have no idea how this first draft class is going to be. Becton was very encouraging. Mims was encouraging, but missed half the season. Beyond that, you saw a little from Bryce Hall that you'd be excited about. The rest of it was non-contributors, and that happens a lot. So you can't fill 12 holes on your team just through the NFL draft because a lot of the guys you take on day two and day three – are going to be like Jabari Zaniga and Cam Clark and James Morgan. 
uh, and, or a punter. So guys who maybe will be good one day, but aren't going to make an immediate impact in most cases. So they still have more work to do. You can look right to the bills within the division on how they built their team. They've, they've drafted well, of course, that's the foundation of what they've built, but they signed more free agents than I think any team in the NFL a few years ago. And they built their offensive line with free agent additions. They signed Mitch Morse. They signed Feliciano. They signed Quentin Spain. And some of these guys have since shuffled out, but they were aggressive in adding bodies there to put talent around Josh Allen. They traded a first round pick for Stefan Diggs. They paid John Brown. Now they, now they paid Emmanuel Sanders. So you have to supplement what you do in the draft with free agency. It's still early to judge that Joe Douglas isn't doing that. If he signs Juju, He's done a good job remaking that group of receivers pretty quickly through free agency, and they still have moves they can make in the draft, like what they did with Lawson on the edge. They just have to do more at offensive line and cornerback. And then I think you go into the draft with your hands less tied. You don't want to go into the draft needing to fill needs. You want to get value in the NFL draft, ideally, and not be forced to take a position because you need it so desperately. So yes, I think the Jets could probably find a starting guard at 23 or 34, but can they find a starting guard and a starting corner and more depth at all the other positions they need? I don't know. That's tough. It's a lot of pressure to put on uh, round two and round three draft picks. So I do think there will be more to come. It's just a question of how much more is there to come. Yeah. I just, I wanted to just address that because I feel like we're taking this two and 14 roster that um, quite frankly was really bad. And it's not an indictment. It just, it was. And I know the Jets were in that, re, that retooling, rebuilding phase, however you want to phrase it in today's NFL. They knew they weren't going to be good. I think Douglas Newgase was not the right answer and was up in the air on Sam and figured, you know, I might as well, you know, give myself as much flexibility and all that type of stuff. And that's great. But Mims, like, I really, I'm not as high, quite frankly, as everybody else is on Mims. I think he's really, he could be really good and he showed some flashes, but like, he tore both hamstrings last year and like never really looked that healthy. And I know Sam didn't throw to him a lot and, and Flacco, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. It's just to count him as a one is not, it's not a lock. So if you had three number two guys, that's really good. And that's impressive. That's why Juju or somebody like that is so you know important to me, but Becton's going to be really good. And that's awesome. But like Piran barely played he was injured a ton. James Morgan didn't even dress. Man's a punter, like you mentioned. I mean, they might as well take a kicker in the sixth round this year because kicking has been a huge problem anyways. But, you know, you just look at some of these guys and, like, they either didn't dress or didn't even contribute. And maybe that's Gase and, you know, mini camp, and I'm willing to give them a flyer. But the Jets have a ton of picks this year, and they'd have a ton of money. And something that I think like people aren't really talking about is not only the Jets have a ton of money this year, but there's not any in-house guys other than if you extend Marcus May, you're paying anytime soon, Q in a year, maybe two. So that's why when people are like, oh, the Jets, you shouldn't spend money. Usually people aren't in the situation the Jets are. Like, who are they paying on this roster that they need to extend? That's why the Colts don't spend money is because they draft really well and then extend their in-house guys. Um, I just I want – and not to mention, like, the cap's going to go up, not just to where it was supposed to be, but this new NFL TV deal that's coming out, you know, we've talked about this before. It might go up 25 30%. And that's from, you know, that's a huge number. And that's why the Cowboys didn't care about giving back 40 plus million. And, you know, the Niners giving Trent Williams this huge contract because these teams are going to see an influx of cash next year that they haven't seen in a long time. So when people say don't spend money, I get it, but they do have to hit the cap floor. They do have to fill in probably 25 roster spots between now and September and they need to add talent. So that's just where my frustration comes from. It's not the Jets being patient, which is good. It's, 
being patient, but also knowing like you have a ton of needs, both talent wise as starters. And also like if these front three guys, let's say they have Juju and Mims and, um, you know, and Davis, what if one, all of those guys have gotten hurt in the past? What if they get hurt again? Like, are we running out Chris Hogan and Braxton and, and Jeff Smith? Like, I don't know if I'm really comfortable with that. So that's kind of just where that little rant came from is just, you can be aggressive, but also patient at the same time. I know it sounds stupid, but it's true. And you've seen other teams do it. Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, they, there's only so much. You don't win games just trotting out cap space year after year after year. You do need to use it on talented players. And the cap will spike next year as some of these deals come in. And the Jets had a bit of a unique window here. And they still may use it to a higher extent. But all it takes is a couple injuries. And all of a sudden, you're throwing passes to Jeff Smith week four. And then we're in the same situation we were last year. And everyone wants to be patient and have cap space until you're getting your ass kicked up and down the field by Buffalo for the fifth time in a row, because you don't have anyone to cover their receivers and you don't have, you know, you don't have the weapons on the outside to keep pace with what they're doing. So look, do I think the Jets should have gave Nelson Aguilar a ton of money on the first day of free agency? No. Do I think that they need to patch up a few more needs before the NFL draft? Yes. And, and I hope that in the next four days, five days, they do that. And then they keep their antenna up for people who are available on the trade market and, you know, try to round out this roster more. It's going to be a tough competitive division. Buffalo is, there's no reason to think Buffalo won't be very good again next year. They're a well-coached, well-managed team. Uh, Miami will get healthier. We'll see what happens. uh, They just added Will Fuller as we're on recording this on a one-year deal. There you go. So they got another weapon in Fuller, a guy who, if he's healthy, is very dangerous down the field. You have Fuller, Devontae Parker, Kaseki, they probably draft a receiver now at number three, and then we'll see what you get out of Tua or Brissett, who they brought over. But it's a tough team. We'll kick the crap out of the Jets twice last year. In New England, you know, we could get the jokes off all we want. They were seven and nine last year with a terrible roster, and they've gotten a lot more talent now. Now, I don't know if Cam is capable of getting them to nine or 10 wins with that, but if he's 15% better than he was last year with all that more talent, they beat the Jets twice last year too, and they almost got to 500. So you're going to need talent to compete in your division. You're going to need talent to compete with uh, the rest of your schedule. So early days, I don't think Jet fans should panic yet. Uh, I think there will be more to come, but there is more needed. I just wanted to kind of hit on like the, it's okay to be happy and like enjoy Douglas being a GM and praise a lot of the moves he has made, which have been really good, but also be, it's okay to be critical of some of the guys he's missed on. He didn't do a great job, you know, protecting Sam and has, you know, he told, you know, his parents, I'm going to protect them and, you know, not get them hit. And it felt like the guards got even worse than they were two years ago. So, um, you know, it's not to bash Douglas. It's just the truth. And, you know, it was a bad team last year and they will be much better, you know, with their, you know, without some of these guys we're looking at, but, you know, the division is really tough and the division spent a lot of money, you know, Miami, just signing Will Fuller now. They've upgraded a bunch of both in you know interior line play. Obviously, that all comes down to the quarterback. New England's the same thing. They've spent they've you know met Cagnan you know offseason on steroids, but the way they structured all the deals, they're all backloaded contracts. So the Patriots are just going to keep adding, and um, you know it's all up to the quarterback. They're a team that you'd have no idea. Maybe they add somebody in the draft, or they pursue a trade for a Russell or Deshaun. I'm not suggesting that's maybe realistic but it's it is a thing um and the jets have to be cautious of that so while their schedule will be easier they'll be more talented and much better coached the division will be tough you know another guy in fuller you know is fuller going to be in the slot and running past ashton davis next year i hope not but it's a real thing so 
let's hope, you know, by the time this podcast comes out tomorrow morning, Juju's a jet. Um, and, you know, they can start to add, you know, some of the guard and cornerback market and, you know, start to move the needle a little bit further and, you know, give Salah and Douglas so many options on draft day, whether it's, you know, Deshaun Fields, Wilson, the unrealistic possibility of, you know, trading back. There's a million options, but if the Jets have enough talent, all of them seem a lot better, to, no matter who's under center. 100%. I, I think there's more work to be done here and we'll have a much better understanding or vision of what this free agency approach was about a week from now. Yeah, and then, you know, upcoming right after this, um, we have Kristen Dyer of Draft Bible, you know, from Sports Illustrated. We're going to talk a lot of draft stuff of some of the, you know, upper level prospects the Jets might target, not just at number two. We don't, and, and, you know, 23, 34 and the possibilities of trades, you know, some of the sleepers in the draft. I think you guys will really enjoy that. So stick around for that. Make sure to catch draft season, you know, every Wednesday or Thursday on the channel. And then, you know, TOJ positive me Tuesday and, you know, and Friday going forward. We've got a lot of really great guests next week. Uh, you know, Marcus Spears of ESPN and get up and then Mike Clay of ESPN as well. So pretty, uh, pretty exciting guests there. And then, like I said, Badlands is cranking along. Uh, you know, Joe and Connor have got some great guests and make sure to subscribe to the. Welcome back to the Turn on the Jets podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Will Parkinson at WillPaw11 on Twitter. I'm joined by a special guest today, Kristen Dyer. Kristen works for uh, NFL Draft Bible, um, you know, owned by Sports Illustrated, I believe. And, um, you know, we're a pleasure to have you join us. How's everything going today? Everything's good. We're sitting here at Panera. We, we, we got our Panera coffee. There's probably going to be some screaming kids running around in the background, but we're just going to go with it. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to roll with the punches, just like the Jets offseason and seasons, uh, you know, of past. But, um, you know, we're going to talk a little NFL draft with you today. Um, talk well, about some of the Jets have rolled with the punches. Yeah, I would say they've effectively rolled with the punches. They just have gotten punched in the face a bunch. And not I was going to say, past couple offseasons, I think they've gotten punched in the face. Up until last year, we got a little sense of direction there. No, uh, it's uh, been an interesting uh, scenario, but... I want to talk a little NFL draft and talk a little bit. We'll, we'll start with the quarterbacks because that's obviously the most popular. Um, you know, everyone wants to hear about Wilson and Fields and, um, you know, even a Trey Lance, for example. And then we'll get into a little bit more of some of the other skill guys and, and linemen of Jets to target. But gut feeling on, um, I guess we'll go one by one, just quickly run down. One by one, they'll start Zach Wilson. What's your gut feeling tell you on how he is as a prospect and how he projects as a pro, um, you know, at that number two spot? Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of demand for the Jets at that number two spot, Will. And when you look at uh, Zach Wilson, I mean, he's going to be the one that I think teams are going to fall in love with at number two. He's got the records of arm strength. Um, I know there's a little bit of question marks when it comes to his size. Um, there was some thought about that he may not necessarily have an NFL build. Can he take the big hits that you're going to see at the NFL level? He's, he's got a decent amount of athleticism. I'm not going to say that um, I'm blown away with his athleticism necessarily. Um, but, you know, mechanically, he does all the throws. He does the things at the second, third, and fourth level that I think uh, Trevor Lawrence maybe isn't quite as polished with uh, at doing necessarily. I'm not saying he's a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence. I just think in some ways, mechanically, uh, technically, he's just he's just a little bit better in, in some areas. I, I still think Trevor Lawrence is that certainly clear cut number one, but uh, the more you watch Zach Wilson, the more you watch the film, you really get that sense that uh, he's someone who could develop into a good, steady quarterback. Um, and it's worthy of the number two pick. I'm not, I'm not going to go out there and say that necessarily, but I think a lot of teams are going to be intrigued by him for good reason. 
Do you think a lot of, I know you just kind of mentioned it there, but do you think a lot of this is like the every year there's always the one guy that gets that really big hype coming in in that, you know, pro day window, that scouting combine window and feels a little bit to me like, I think Zach Wilson has a lot of talent and I think he projects well, but at the same time, he went from a guy that was a fourth, fifth round pick, all of a sudden he's shooting up to be a first round guy. Now he's people, you know, there's the Chris Sims of the world who do a great job with in, you know, analyzing quarterbacks, but now he's one on their board above Trevor Lawrence. Does it feel a little bit like that's the momentum guy this year and it's maybe a little overreaction? Yeah, he's absolutely this year's Carson Wentz. You know, I, I think he's a first-round quarterback. I think he's probably somewhere, you know, that you could certainly say he's top 10, top 12 selection. Uh, but teams do fall in love. And, and I think part of it is really just kind of the way that this offseason has played out. When you, when you look at Drew Brees retiring, uh, Carson Wentz on the move in Philadelphia, uh, Deshaun Watson potentially being one of those dominant that's going to fall. I think it's led teams to potentially reach just a little bit more. And while Zach Wilson could be number five, number six, um, I think he's somebody, when you look at him, you look at his film, you're impressed. You can see the mechanics are there. You can see the throws are there, the windows, how he leads his wide receivers. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why he should be a first round pick. Uh, but when you look at just overall raw talent, you know, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddles, I think Penny Sewells and, and some of the other players are, are going to be above in terms of overall NFL production. That doesn't mean that Zach Wilson isn't an NFL starting quarterback. Uh, it doesn't mean he's not going to be a Pro Bowl quarterback. Both there are absolutely quarterbacks that teams fall in love with. And I, and I think this is probably the first time um, since Super Bowl three that maybe the Jets are getting a little bit of luck just by the way everything's playing out. If, they, if they're convinced that their quarterback's going to come either in free agency or a trade or is Sam Darnold, uh, some team, just because of the way the dominoes are falling, is going to be willing to trade up and get Zach Wilson and pay a premium for him. Not not number one pick level premium, but I think there's good. you're going to look and say, okay, it's going to be probably all your, your day one and day two picks and probably multiple picks in 2022 and 2023 that the, team, that the Jets are going to be able to hold some team hostage for because there's going to be a desperation at the quarterback level. Yeah, I feel like the Jets are in the best spot they've been in I don't know about ever, but in terms of the amount of leverage they have with Seattle picks, their Jets picks this year, the cap space, the like they have Sam, who I still believe in, but I also am realistic and understand that, that he might be on his way out, um, which you could get capital for him as well. And then you obviously have that number two pick, which is in a QB heavy draft with multiple guys and a Wilson hype. I mean, they're in, they, I mean, no matter what they do, they're in a good spot, I think. They're in a good spot. And uh, I, I could see a scenario where the Jets could end up trading with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, who sit at number six. The Eagles move up to take Zach Wilson, and Zach Wilson has struggles. And if the Jets end up getting a first in 2022, that could be another top five, top six pick potentially. If the Seahawks end up moving on from Russell Wilson or, or something happens with the sit-out or whatever, all of a sudden that first round pick with Seattle in 2022 could end up being a 10 to 12 pick rather than being you know, 20, the mid to, to late 20s. So the Jets are really lining themselves up for, for being able to get not only that high-end talent, but being able to trade back and restock. And I mean, you look at that too deep for the Jets, and I know you pour over it, you, you know, you're familiar with it. 
there's no depth there. It's not just the higher-end player, caliber players where you say, okay, we get a couple big players, we can balance out this roster. Years of neglect in the draft from, from the previous two general managers. Now, I have no problems with the Jets moving back from, from two to six or two to nine, two to 12, um, you know, potentially, and getting four, five, six picks this year and next year and really kind of accelerating the rebuild. I, I think it's a smarter way to go. Yeah, so I mean, I tend to agree with you, um, but theoretically, they stay to. Obviously, we discussed Wilson a little bit. Um, Fields and Trey Lance are two interesting guys. I think Trey Lance is the highest ceiling in the draft, but I also think that he's not a good fit for the Jets from the perspective of the Jets don't have the roster and proven track record to develop quarterbacks, and I think he's going to need to go somewhere where an Atlanta, potentially a Carolina, where you could sit behind a starter, develop, and sit for a year, a la what Mahomes went through kind of clean up some of the mechanical things and just the experience piece. So I don't know that Trey Lance is a great fit. I think he's a really intriguing prospect. Um, I would say uh, Fields from the other perspective, I think is more polished. I think he's somebody that is more realistic at two. What are your thoughts on Fields and Lance as a whole? Yeah, I don't think that there's anyone other than Zach Wilson who's going to be taken at number two. And again, that's just because of the quarterback dominoes falling and, and really Wilson's ability to project immediately as a starter um, is going to be very enticing. I, I think Fields is a very intriguing quarterback. I, I watch a lot of the Big Ten as, as a Rutgers guy and, and someone who, who loves that conference. Uh, he's impressive. I don't see those second, third level throws from him quite yet, but I think the tools are there where he's going to be that someone who can absolutely do it. He's got a good mind uh, for the game. When you see his command of the playbook in Ohio State, uh, he goes up to that line of confidence. He calls out coverages. Um, I think he's someone who in, in three to four years time, you're going to be able to hand the ball to and say, okay, go out there and make your audibles and, and, and kind of go with plan B, plan C, based off of what you see from the coverage. Um, he, he is, there's good athleticism there. He's not, he's not a high-end athlete like we've seen some quarterbacks over the past few years, but he's got the requisite arm strength. He's got the fundamentals down uh, and he's got good footwork overall, but that needs to improve. Uh, Trey Lance, you know, there's going to be the questions there, obviously, uh, about you know, the, the competition level that he played at, at North Dakota State. Um, I think that there's some mechanical things he's going to have to work on, too, as well, um, and, cer and certainly reading and catching up to the game. Um, I think he's probably an ideal for a team that's later in the first round that's going to be willing to package up a couple picks, move up into the middle part of the first round. And, and then Trey Lance and develop him for a year or two. Um, I'm not sure he's going to last to number 15, but I can see the Patriots at 15 if he's there jumping uh, on Trey Lance, uh, letting him sit behind Cam Newton or whoever's going to be the starter there. It sounds like it's going to be uh, Cam Newton potentially uh, in, in 2021. It's 2021, right? Yeah, 2021 for the Jets. It's been a long couple of years. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that could be a spot where he can sit and develop for a season or two and really go into a good system. So I, I like Trey Lance. I'm not sold on him being a first round, round pick at quarterback. I think that there's uh, another quarterback or two that I would take potentially ahead of him. I think Mac Jones uh, is a bit more polished and, and ready to step in. Again, I think Mac Jones late in the first round, some team's going to look uh, and, and potentially uh, take him, groom him, develop him uh, for a season or two, and then have a good, solid, steady quarterback, who I think has a, maybe not as high of a ceiling as Trey Lance, uh, but could end up being a better quarterback because he might fall into a better position. 
Yeah, I was going to say, my thing with Mac Jones is that I think his film is fantastic, um, but he also, it's difficult sometimes to tell how much is Mac Jones, how much is Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith and an elite multiple first-round potential offensive lineman and Najee Harris and Sark was the best play caller in the country last year. And it, it's a lot of, it's just difficult sometimes for me to be able to tell who's like, who's really responsible for it. But that doesn't mean that I don't think Mac Jones is a good prospect. I just think he needs to be put in a situation where um, he's going to go to a roster where he can sit, develop, and also be surrounded with talent where he can really flash his elite accuracy. He's got good footwork. He's a pro level mind. I just athletically, he's he not as his receiver so well, too. Yeah. Well, he really does. And he's tremendous and he's a winner. And when you talk with Waddle and, and Smith, and they say that Mac Jones is the best quarterback they played with at Alabama. And you consider where Jalen Hurts was selected last year and how he didn't necessarily look out of place in the NFL. We, I know there were the struggles, but he didn't, he looked like he had some of the tools at quarterback. You can kind of say, okay, Mac Jones is a little bit more polished than that, a little bit more refined, a little bit more durable, um, maybe a bit more more of a uh, game manager uh, than Hertz, who can kind of be that boom bust sort of mentality. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think Mac Jones um, probably has the best potential uh, in this draft uh, outside of Trevor Lawrence. Uh, to, to, to become a good, solid, long-term solution because I think where he falls later in the first round could potentially put him in a place where he can develop for a season or two uh, and, and end up moving in the right direction. Yeah, I know this is going to be a weird comp, but between like where Dak and Russell Wilson, I know not first round picks, but ending up on teams with immense talent and being able to step in right away and play um, with great defenses and then talent around them, I think is somewhere where that's going to benefit Mac Jones. The, far, the further he falls, I actually think it's better for him. Um, whereas other guys, obviously, you don't want to fall in the first round. But um, for, worse for his bank account. Worse for his bank account. Eventually, he'll get he'll get paid as a quarterback. So, um, speaking, we just spoke about two of the two of the guys. I was going to ask you about the receiver class. Seems to be incredibly um, incredibly deep and talented from a top end perspective, but also um, you know deep in the later rounds. Um, I personally love Jamar Chase. I think people are forgetting how good he was. I think he had the best college season ever until Devontae Smith, obviously, this year um, one-upped him. But from Chase, Smith, Waddle, and even uh, Bateman as well, um, where do you kind of see – how do you either rank those guys or who do you see as the, having the best um, you know, potential there? Yeah, I, I, th I think Waddle and Smith are going to be very good, but I agree with you about Jamar Chase. If he, there's a Joe Burrow-esque quarterback at LSU, I'm not talking about Joe Burrow, but if there's someone who, who's a little bit more competent in the offense, and there was a lot of upheaval on that LSU offense uh, this past year, I, I think we're talking about Jamar Chase as probably a, a lock at, at four or five um, for, for some team. He's a top five wide receiver, but some team's going to benefit from kind of everything that, that went on uh, down in Baton Rouge this past year and, and sort of the issues they had, the post-borough issues that they had. So I, I think Jamar Chase is someone who uh, can step into a good situation right, right away, probably fall to a team that, you know, is eight, nine, 10, or 11, potentially, that, that was, you know, six and 10 or seven and nine, 
uh, in that one piece that's this functioning offense um, and, and could kind of take an elevated team. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Atlanta does uh, at number four. I know there's talks about quarterback and there's talk about Penny Sewell, uh, but to me, if, you, if you're convinced that Matt Ryan's going to be that guy for, for one more year, and given what, they, what this class has on day two at both the tackle and guard position, uh, it'd be interesting to see to me if Atlanta maybe rolls the dice a little bit and goes with the Jamar Chase or Waddle or Smith and says, Let, let's, let's put some of these playmakers out there. Let's maximize what we got from Matt Ryan for, for the next season or two or three, uh, depending on what they do with his contract uh, and, and kind of move forward with them because I think Jamar Chase ha has that off the track athleticism um, and he's a great route runner. His, his route is well developed. He can play an inside, he can play an outside. Uh, there's also his teammate, Terrace Marshall, too. Who's real thin? Uh, makes Stephen Hill look like he, you know, he took his beatings this morning. But I, I think Marshall's going to be somebody who, on day two, uh, you're not going to expect huge contributions from him right away, but the ceiling's high. He's got a big catch radius, um, he's a downfield threat. And I do think that there's a, a lot of good wide receivers uh, in this draft, day two, day three. Um, one of my sleepers is Jonathan Adams out of Arkansas State, a thousand yard wide receiver. He's going to be a little raw. But I think when you look at production, um, I'm not talking about in terms of sorry, playing style, but production, he could be a Jeremy Curley type wide receiver for some NFL teams who, who can play inside. He could bump on the outside as well or opposite in, uh, in single coverage. You know, I think it's a really deep draft. I'm a diehard USC fan, so I'm really excited about him on Ross St. Brown. I think he's really polished that every, I think he's really good at everything. I don't think he's got one specific skill that makes him as good as Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith in terms of straight line speed or um he's not you know he's not six three six four but at the same time he's played slot he played outside he made tough catches he ran routes well he's coming from an nfl family he's a mature kid i just think that he's somebody you know second mid second third round maybe um if he falls there i'd love the jets to take him early in the third round and get somebody there but if he's there yeah if he's there i, I mean i i don't think he will be but i kind of similar to the way i wanted them to get michael Pittman last year i felt like I was biased with the, you know, Michael Pittman, but I felt like he's somebody that could translate really quickly. NFL got comes from a pro. The USC skill guys come into the NFL right away and usually contribute. I know people don't want to hear that because the quarterback stuff, but the skill guys a different story. No, no, they, they definitely come in. Um, they, they always test well too, which helps uh, in the pro day scenario. I think we're going to see a couple a couple USC players jump up the board. Even uh, they've got a couple offensive linemen that yeah, I think uh, I like a lot. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, but I think that when you look at this past draft and what Joe Douglas did, uh, moving back in the second round, and a lot of people were kind of furious because uh, there were certain players that were going to be there uh, that we thought at wide receiver. And, and then Denzel Mim struggles to get on the field. But when he's on the field, he, he looks the part of to be able to move back, get that draft capital. And I'm a big believer in draft capital. If you know what you're going to do with it, uh, but to be able to get Denzel Mims, I think this could be a similar draft for the Jets where second or third round, they can get that guy who could, who could be, you know, a 45, 50 catch wide receiver uh, and get you 750 to 800 yards. Uh, and maybe you end up getting your solution at wide receiver for, for a real big playmaker through free agency, but you're able to get some of those complementary pieces uh, to go alongside it. And I think this is a good draft, uh, much like the last draft, not quite as deep at the wide receiver position. Who would love uh, Chase Claypool? Right. Uh, if you're the Jets, um, and I was a big believer in Claypool coming out of the draft, but 
Um, now, I definitely think this could be a good draft for wide receiver because there is depth. I think after Chase, Waddle, and Smith, there's a rather significant drop off. Um, if I'm the Jets, unless one of those three falls to at 23, um, I'm probably not making that move. Uh, but I think day two, we could get one. Uh, one good wide receiver, probably gate three, a similar investment that you could develop and, and bring along in the year or two. I just want to get your kind of opinion on a few of the running backs. Um, you know, I know it seems unlikely to me that, in my opinion, Douglas will take at 23 or maybe even 34 seems a little early at running back, just based on the disaster that kind of was what happened with Le'Veon and paying running backs and things like that. Obviously, you get the benefit of a first-run running back. You get five years out of them at reasonable money, but um, there are some talented running backs, uh, you know, the Najee Harrison trucks at the end of the world at the end, put on 20 pounds and still ran four, four fly yesterday, which is pretty incredible. But um, a guy like Javante Williams really excites me. He's catch the ball, the backfield, well, runs between the tackles, a pro ready back. Um, do you think there's any realistic chance that they're taking a running back that early? Or you think that's going to be more of a, a plug and play use Ty Johnson, maybe sign a couple of running backs that are more speed guys? Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. And I think uh, Lamical P. Ryan is somebody who wasn't necessarily on a whole lot of people's boards uh, for, for the Jets. Um, but they ended up moving up and, and doing, you know, not moving up, but they ended up maybe taking him a little bit earlier than I think a lot of teams thought. Uh, it, it has worked out well. He showed some flashes. I, I know that there's still a lot of big developmental issues ancients waiting for the whole, uh, but his speed is better than advertised. And, and I think that would probably be wise on late on day two or early on day three to probably go with one of those guys. Talk about Williams could be off the board at, as early as late in the second round. I, I think he's probably a, a later day two selection. Uh, good, good with the ball out of his hands. Good wiggle, elusive, not the biggest of running backs, but uh, you know, could certainly fit into uh, that Kyle Shanahan type of offense, which we think that Robert Sal is probably going to be uh, instilling here, making use of the running backs, getting them out to space into one-on-one matchups. Um, and, and, I, and I think he could be a good running back there. Um, I, I think probably later uh, on the day three, it's going to be a Chuba Hubbard, uh, who's someone who, uh, you know, two years ago, we were talking about this guy being probably the first running back off the draft board. Uh, some, some issues at Oklahoma State, not, not um, off the field issues, uh, but on the field kind of getting things in traction. This is the kind of running back and, and player that we've seen uh, Joe Douglas target uh, last year, someone who uh, maybe had a great sophomore year or a great junior year, and then uh, their stock fell for some reason, but you're kind of banking on them going on the upswing again. And I think Hubbard falls into that category uh, of somebody who you could get in day three, uh, potentially early in day three, and, and kind of have as a complement to P. Ryan, whoever you bring in, uh, in terms of free agency. I don't see a scenario where, where Najee Harris or Etienne um, are going to be the Jets pick at 23. If one of them were to fall for whatever reason, there's an injury concern, there's some sort of a red flag, and you're sitting there at 34 and you've addressed, let's say, your, your, you know, a, a need on the offensive line, which I think could be a, a day one uh, need, and, and maybe pass rush or cornerback, uh, do you all of a sudden say, okay, this is the kind of player that's falling into our lap. We're getting him on a second round contract at 34, or do they potentially trade back and if they're sitting at 38 or 40 and one of those guys is there for, for whatever reason? It wouldn't surprise me to see the third player taken uh, being a running back, but I just think that when you're at 34, probably one of those running backs who will be there isn't going to represent good value when you've got issues at pass rush, uh, 
cornerback linebacker. Uh, you're going to have to probably draft at least one interior defensive lineman uh, for, for the switch to the 4-3 defense. And uh, I think an Aline McNeil in the second round could be really interesting. I, I think McNeil with a good pro day could jump up to late first because he's one of the few interior tackles who can consistently get after the pass rusher. Um, but yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think this is probably going to be a later day two, later day three selection. I think Hubbard is someone who makes a lot of sense for the Jets. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I just, it's, it's, those guys are really exciting and I get it. And like, I get excited. Like, I love the way at the end runs the ball, Najee Harris, the hurdles, all that stuff is great. But at the same time, there are so many needs and the way that people are paying, like paying or not paying running backs um, the last three to four years, it's really difficult to imagine Douglas taking a running back there. But you mentioned position, a couple of positions there, but I'm just go through cornerback, a guy at 23. Um, that interests me a lot, and I know interests you, is J.C. Horn. Um, I think the Jets need to address corner. I like Bryce Hall. He showed some flashes, but I still think you're banking on him being a 16-game starter um, and developing to a really good corner is being a little maybe overconfident, and you're going to need at least one, maybe two guys, maybe a free agency guy like a Sherman, but um, definitely somebody like J.C. Horn. What are your thoughts on Horn, and do you think at 23 he's a good option? I think Horn could end up developing into the best cornerback in this draft. He's athletic. He's rangy. Um, he's gonna he's gonna have a good wingspan when we you know, test him out on his pro day. Uh, he's a good coverage cornerback. He's the kind of guy that you can put on an island, well tested in the SEC. I also like the fact that he played for a program that didn't have a ton of success the past season or two. Not a bad team, not horrible, um, but it's a team that certainly where he would be targeted. Uh, as well. So uh, he stood up well in the SEC. Uh, I think he has all the athletic attributes. Um, I, I think the football acumen is going to come with him. Um, he's still someone who's a little bit raw in, in terms of some of that understanding uh, his assignments and switch offs and, and, and things like that. Uh, but I think JC Horn could be the best cornerback in this draft. Will he be available at 23? Uh, you know, I, I think there's a decent possibility there. Uh, you know, Patrick Sertain, obviously Alabama, I think some teams are probably going to go a little bit higher on him than they should. I think he's going to be a very good cornerback. Um, I can understand why the Jets with a Dean Milner situation from a few years ago might shy away from, from Alabama quarterback, but we were cornerbacks, but we also saw them not shy away from a USC quarterback a couple of years ago, given everything that happened with Mark Sanchez and Caleb Farley as well from Virginia Tech as someone who's going to be in the first round, maybe off the board by 23. Uh, he, he's the complete package. He has that speed that you want to see, good coverage. Uh, he, he's a really fantastic cornerback. There's some good, solid cornerbacks uh, in this draft that I think you're going to end up seeing um, day two, day three. Jalen Holland, who didn't play for Oregon, opted out this year, this past year. He's solid. So I think that there's some good value there as well. Uh, but to me, I'm the Jets, I'm, I'm probably going to get criticized for this, but I think if you end up trading back once or maybe twice in the first round and you're sitting there at 9 or 12 or one of those positions, do you possibly take uh, Caleb Farley if he's there at number 12? And then consider J.C. Horn uh, at number 23. I know it's a little bit of a crazy take and a hot take, but uh, the secondary is probably the closest unit, um, along with linebacker on the whole team, that's close to being a competent functioning unit. And if you're able to address the issues in the secondary, uh, that can do an awful lot to try to mask some of the issues with the pass rush that the Jets have had the past year. I think taking two cornerbacks, given all the needs on this team, are 
it's a bit of a reach, and I can understand why you criticize for it. But if you can get two Pro Bowl level cornerbacks uh, to potentially kind of anchor this team for the next 10 years, uh, what it could do to free up Marcus May uh, and Ashton Davis in the back end to really be playmakers to blitz, to dial up some exotic blitzes, I, I think it's something that the Jets could potentially consider. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I think it's fun to talk about in mock drafts. Um, but I, I think probably day two it wouldn't surprise me to see the Jets, even if they went at 23 with a JC Horn, potentially going after another cornerback um, and, and getting somebody there who, who can kind of play opposite um, of a Horn or a Farley or uh, even bless Austin, potentially, if he's going to take that next step. Um, and, and really solidify things like that because the secondary is not far away from, from being a good functioning unit. Yeah, I think that corner is just like I said, I think it's definitely a need. Um, I think JC Horn's somebody of value and somebody that could be really good in the NFL. At 23, would be nice. Obviously, you know, I want to see the Jets move as much, um, as many assets as they can into the offense just because of the way the offense is performed. Um, but at the same time, obviously, they'll have free agency to be able to address a lot of those needs. I think they've talked a lot about, you know, bringing in fast and explosive playmakers. Um, I think that's something they'll address in free agency and then be able to supplement with that, the amount of draft capital they have. Um, and you kind of mentioned uh, a couple guys who are maybe one or two year guys that people aren't talking about enough um, that either the Jets or just anybody in general on a day three or end of day two, uh, early day three guy that is going to be a Pro Bowl level type player potentially. Um, like one or two year sleeper guys. No pressure there. Pro Bowl caliber. Well, I'm 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 gonna at least uh, at least, you know, at least consistent starter. Okay, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ratchet it down from from Pro, pro Bowl caliber. Uh, but I like Jordan Smith out of uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham. He's a guy who, if he's playing for a Power Five team, he uh, is, is probably going to be going in day two. As it is, I think he'll probably be late day two, early day three. Impressive at the Senior Bowl, six for seven rangy uh off the edge uh can, can play stand up in a three four or with his hands in the dirt in a four three he he's he's an impressive player i think he's got a really really good motor um he's going to be somebody who when you kind of look at uh, the explosiveness the first step i think he brings an awful lot in in terms of um, being able to be a complement opposite for Quinn and Williams on the edge. He's, he's good in run defense. I wouldn't say it's a strength, but getting after the quarterback with his length, I think he's going to be a real challenge uh, for, for, for uh, a lot of years in the NFL. Is he going to be a Pro Bowl caliber guy off the edge? I'm not sure, um, but I, I, I just think his length, his explosiveness, question mark is going to be about competition that he played in Conference USA, um, but his senior bowl performance, that first, that first step, needs to work on being better with his hands uh, because he is a bit, little bit of a speed guy. I think he's someone to watch there uh, who could be a very interesting player. I know I, I, I have not watched his film, to be perfectly honest with you, but he's somebody that I'm definitely going to now check out. Um, this is not, I don't want to be negative, but who's somebody that is getting a ton of hype from a non-quarterback position, I think you mentioned a few guys, but who's somebody that's getting flying up draft boards that you're like, whoa, maybe pump the brakes a little, I'm not sure. They're a top 10 pick or a top 15 pick. 
Yeah, we, we talked about Zach Wilson. I mean, you know, again, I think some teams going to take him at two, and I understand why. To me, he's not number, he's not the second best player in the draft. If you're taking Zach Wilson, you're making that move based off of need, uh, and you can understand why teams would do that. I think Patrick Sertain at Alabama. Um, if you put Patrick Sertain on South Carolina and you put J.C. Horn on Alabama, uh, J.C. Horn's a top eight pick in the draft, top ten for sure, and Patrick Sertain's probably going within the top twenty. Um, that's not to say that Patrick Sertain is not going to have a great NFL career, but I, I certainly think um, that, you know, just kind of looking at the two teams, the Alabama players to get just a, a little bit extra hype uh, here or there. And, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure, and I know we talked, you said not quarterback, I'm not quite sure Trey Lance is ready to be a middle first round pick. Um, that, that one's a little bit of a concern to me. And, and Pat Fryermouth at Penn State, tight end. I like him. Um, I, I know I think that he's a good middle to late second round pick at tight end. I'm not sure that uh, he's considerably better than Hunter Long, who's out of Boston College, um, who I, I think uh, is going to be a very good, solid tight end. And you take Fryermouth at, you know, early to midpoint of the second round where he kind of projects um, and, and Long's going to be available in round three or round four. Uh, I just think when you look at how their careers kind of play out, it, it's going to be very similar. And what's the better value you could get uh, if you're the Jets in the second round and you have that need at tight end. So I, I, I think those are a couple of the players that there's some questions marks about. Uh, Alex Leatherwood, uh, who's an offensive tackle out of Alabama, I think has the potential to be a good, solid right tackle in the NFL. Not convinced he's a top 40 guy in the draft, top 45 guy. Um, I, I think there's going to be some work there, um, certainly uh, just, just technique-wise. Um, I think the Alabama offensive line has masked a little bit. Um, I think he's going to develop into a good player. But when you're taking a guy top 40 and you're going to plug him in at right tackle, you expect him to start right away. Now, if you're the Jets and you want to take him and, and develop him and by game six or game eight, he's replacing George Fant or whoever you have on the offensive line at right tackle. Well, okay, I could see that. It's a, it's a decent argument. But to me, Leatherwood's got some things he's got to clean up um, to kind of be able to, to be that guy in the top four. No, I, I, I some of those guys, I um, kind of figured, I, I was thinking about in my head, like it's Stephon Gilmore at South Carolina and then, that pipeline of that gives you the good taste of like, oh, this guy could be really good because with the pipeline South Carolina's put out of the same exact position, similar type player. And then you look at a D Miller as a Jets fan, and it's tough to look at Patrick Sertan as much as great as his dad was. Um, if you watch him, then you're like, oh, great. We're going to get the same thing uh, over again. But the other, one other question I wanted to ask you just about the tackle position. Um, it feels like Rashawn Slater's kind of like as good as he is, um, he's almost shooting up draft boards even more so now. And obviously Penny Sewell um, is only 20 years old. Yeah, freak athletic ability, high, high ceiling. If you were just, doesn't matter the team needed a left tackle, who do you think is the better prospect, Slater or Penny Sewell? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess it's you're, you're sold on whether uh, Rashawn Slater is going to end up playing tackle at the next level, or you think he may bump in and be a guard, which where a lot of people think he has a much higher ceiling at guard. I think he has the athleticism to get out there and, and, and be open to pull and, and really kind of be very, very high level. I think a pro bowl caliber guard. Um, there are the height issues and concerns. There's a little bit of question um, about his arm length too, which you obviously want to see. You know, Penn Sewell to, to me is um, a go-to left tackle. If, 
for the Jets and you end up moving back in the draft. You don't take Sewell at number two, or if, you know, you're the Jets, you're probably trying to move back at that point. But if Sewell sits, is there for you at six, um, if you move back with the Panthers, depending on how, how things play out, I think you can make an argument that Sewell uh, ends up being a bookend uh, tackle opposite of Makai Beckton. Uh, if he pushes Makai Beckton at left tackle and you move Makai to right tackle, I, I don't know if you do that or not. Uh, but I, I think he's polished. I think he would be uh, in an awful lot of years of uh, the first player taken off the draft board if we didn't have all this quarterback craziness. The question is, do you want to invest uh, two years straight in your first pick being a tackle? Uh, I know the tackle position is so important, but that's an awful lot of capital to utilize on basically bookend positions. Uh, you don't usually see that in the NFL if you take a cornerback. I know I just made the argument a couple of minutes ago, so I'm contradicting myself. The Jets should consider two cornerbacks uh, in the first round potentially. I think that's a little bit of a different position because of matchups, um, but do you really want to invest uh, an early first round pick for a second straight year at the tackle position as important as it is? Um, I think Slater, he's there and the Jets end up moving back to, to nine or to 12. Uh, he could be a great investment. I think he is a, a pro bowl, all pro caliber ceiling uh, guard in the NFL. I think you could also make the argument come on in and be a really good right tackle. And then you have a difficult decision with George Fant, who, who was not back last year at right tackle. I know I got some criticism, um, but the interior of the offensive line is a major issue for me. To me, uh, Slater could be a great pick there at 12. And I think a dream draft scenario for the Jets could be they move back and they're sitting there at 12 after or, or nine and they get Slater and then they get J.C. Horn. As well, I think that to me answers an awful lot of questions on both sides of the ball. Yeah, no, I, I mean, theoretically, the, the I think the biggest need on the entire team outside of you take quarterback out of it because I think quarterback is right now it's like so talked about, but the inside of that interior offensive line, both guard positions, even frankly, center's not center's not great. Um, Connor McGovern's okay, and I think he's probably projects a little better at guard. Um, between you know interior offensive line, corner, edge, and receiver. Like, there's a lot of needs, and the Jets, thankfully, have a lot of picks and a lot of money to spend. So that'll be um, something that be interesting, and I think it'll be interesting to see kind of where some of your guys go, um, you know, in the draft, and, um, you know, hopefully some of them to the Jets, and then if not, like, see what kind of organizations they go to because, obviously, as we know, and you know, you know better than me, but – where you go as a player so and how good you become is so dependent on the organization and the coaching and talent around you. Um, so when, when the Jets are taken, guys, just remember, like, Douglas loves these high-ceiling guys, which is great. They're going to have to get coached up really well by Robert Sala. They're going to have to get really coached up on uh, Michael Floor. Like, that, those type of things do matter. Um, it's not just how talented the player is. No, without a doubt. And, and you mentioned Robert Sala. I think the most interesting thing is going to be the free agency. I mean, when you've got one of the elite quarterbacks of the NFL, Deshaun Watson, saying, I'd like to play for Robert Sala. When was the last time the Jets have been able to say that uh, about a head coach that you had someone who's going to be able to go out there and recruit? you got, you got to go back to Rex Ryan, who brought that energy, who you know, did the tribal tattoo for Wayne Hunter to convince him, you know, who was knocking on Bart Scott's door at, at mid, you know, one minute after midnight uh, at the start of free agency, saying, you know, be the linchpin, be the foundation of my team. And I think Robert Sala is going to bring that energy too. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to me that, how many 
questions are going to be able to be answered. And, you know, we talk about mock drafts. All the mock drafts kind of assume the same holes on the Jets right now. Uh, that there's not going to be you know, in a month's time. There, there's probably going to be a lot of deficiencies. And, and I do think that probably a lot more things, especially as a defensive coordinator, Robert Sala is going to be more comfortable going offense in free agency, perhaps getting more of those short things so he can focus on building the identity with his defense in the draft. So it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, two first-round picks end up going to the edge rusher and cornerback. Uh, in the draft potentially for the Jets because I think in free agency your defensive and we saw this with Rex Ryan uh, I think we saw with Todd Bowles a little bit too but when you're a defensive coordinator that's your background you're willing to go free agency on offense get that to be a settled thing so that you can work and build and groom your wheelhouse with your guys develop them bring them up through your system so it wouldn't surprise me if two of the first three picks are on the defensive side of the ball as bad as the offense has been the past few years. I guess we'll we'll end with we'll end with this question. You kind of just mentioned something and made me think of it. Who's the one guy, um, the Bart Scott of the you know Tannenbaum and Rex knocking on Bart Scott's door at twelve oh one a.m. The tampering period opens. Who's the one guy in free agency the Jets should be knocking on their door? Theoretically, obviously COVID and whatnot. Calling Zoom calling them at twelve oh one, you know March fourteenth. Tampering opens. League years the seventeenth. But who's that one free agent guy that you would be knocking down their door to try to get him to be in green white? Can I punt on that answer? I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> it's a tough it's, question. It, it's, it's a really tough question. And, you know, I, I think you look at uh, what the, the losses, that the, the moves that the Chiefs made, uh, you know, just, just a day or two ago, you know, Fisher right there uh, could really answer an awful lot of questions. I think bringing in some, some of that winning pedigree, uh, Super Bowl champion, been to the Super Bowl twice. I think that's part of the allure of Bart Scott was the success he had in postseason and being able to bring in that mentality. I know Fisher isn't you know, one of the guys that we talk about as being an exciting pick or uh, you know, a sexy pick necessarily, but the, to me, you bring him on board, you help solidify the offensive line, but you bring in that mentality. And you probably, if you're the Jets, you're going to have to overpay a little bit in free agency. Good news is the amount of cap space and the, the cap coming down like it did based off of the projections is going to help them. So uh, to me, somebody like that could really be a foundational piece because you need that winning mentality after missing out on the playoffs for a decade. Yeah, for me, it's it's one of the offensive linemen. It's either Lindsley, Dooney, um, or either Schwartz or Fisher. I think they need to address – they could use all four of those guys, quite frankly. So – um, I would try to secure the offensive line as quickly as possible um, and take advantage of the fact that there's so much more talent because of what you mentioned with the cap going down and so many teams um, spending so heavily last year. And then the cap was supposed to go up and in fact went down about 16 million. So it's really, if you actually look at teams, you know, $30 million worth of what they were projecting is not there. So, um, you know, I, I really appreciate your time, obviously. And um, we'll, we'd love to, you know, have you on again and recap some of what the Jets do actually physically, physically do in the draft. Um, you know, there's a lot of scenarios, trade back, you take a quarterback, there's a million different options. But, um, you know, if you want to make sure you check out some of your stuff on Draft Bible, um, you know, Sports Illustrated, and, and I think people really enjoy some of the you know, draft stuff coverage you've got going on. And, um, you know, yeah, thank you again for, uh, for joining us. Well, no, my, my pleasure. It'll be fun. And let, let's see how wrong I am uh, in a couple of weeks. But Joe Douglas knows just a little bit more than me.